IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to this episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And uh, we just continue to have so many wonderful conversations with folks in all walks of life and all parts of the world about how they're reaching their soul's potential, achieving their IntelliKey. And it's just so exciting, isn't it? Oh, Mark, it is incredibly exciting. You know, I've been on the calls all morning with global heart-centered leaders who are looking to create new ways of doing business in the spiritual field. It's just, it's fascinating to watch people's soul continue to evolve and go in new directions. And I think it's time, finally, we're finally here where people are really embracing that there is the potential to do that. And that brings us to our guest today, who really like our podcast, where we try to bridge these worlds between spiritual practices, conscious leadership, and real life, real business, because we have to be participating in our daily lives. And our guest today is just that kind of person. He's a rabbi, he's a spiritual teacher, and he's also the author of a brand new book that's just being released. It's called, It's All the Same to Me. And this is a book that Deepak Chopra calls uh, a contribution to the world's enlightenment. And it is indeed. And so we're so happy to have as our guest, Moshe Gerst. Moshe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. And he's joining us today from Jerusalem and Israel. And Moshe, we're going to get into that story. But first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been quite a journey and very grateful to be here. Yeah. And I'm sure, as you said, you've learned so much. What What are some of those highlights just on the journey of the book alone, as you've been trying to capture some of these insights and thoughts and experiences that you wanted to share? You know, it's amazing. Uh, when you sit down to write a book, you know, for me, I... I I feel like I'm, I'm just channeling whatever's coming through me at the time. And that part for me moves really quickly. I know a lot of people get stuck on the writing. I finished the rough draft within a week, the actual book was finished. You know, we spent six months in editing, but it's not the, for me, I felt the stretch and the learning curve really happened when you find out writing a good book doesn't sell itself. You know, just because <laughs> you, you put pen to paper, doesn't mean that people are going to be able to see it. And if you care deeply about the message that you're trying to share, that means you also have to care about the packaging and the delivery and being able to rise above the noise. And for me, that was a stretch in ways that I'd never experienced before. So I I basically went to the school of YouTube and started researching and learning and learning from people like you and podcasts. And I spent a lot of time listening to marketers and branding and just found so many correlations between spiritual path and and the world of marketing. It's it's actually uncanny. So for me, I think that was the the surprise, you know, gift that I got in this process was learning so much about life and the world and, and expression and actualization beyond just, you know, the concepts and and relationships, which is exciting. I have to be honest. Like it was oh, amazing. So exciting. Yeah. So you said two things when we talk about this bridge of spirituality in business, which really there is no bridge. It's just, we've been trained to create these bridges. So reality is, is there is no bridge, but you spoke to channeling, which is an art in and of itself, because it takes internal refinement to be able to really receive those divine inspirations that come down and, you know, whatever your belief system is, you still need an open channel to do that. And then 
to further the point, you spoke to there really is no bridge in business either, because all the principles are principles and they get applied everywhere. So knowing that there's no bridge or seeing a bridge, how do you speak to our audience on the value of having both channels open? Because for some people, they don't know how to, you know, intuitively channel to receive the information that's supposed to come out. And to others, they don't know how to market. Can you go a little deeper with that? Sure. I mean, for me, if I had to put it into one sentence, it's, you know, get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I mean when I say that is, I find the moment I start overthinking anything, uh, that's the clutter, the mental clutter is what gets in the way of the channel. Because now I think that my plan has to be, or what I know best, uh, I like to use this phrase a lot, which is I follow the breadcrumbs, which means for me, when I'm writing, if I'm pulled in a certain place or, or I'm ex- like so- an idea is speaking to me. So I'll just, I'll just go in that direction and move in that direction because that is the right place for me to be right now. And I'll stop when the breadcrumbs kind of finish and I can always go back and edit that. I can always cut things out. I can always build on it. I can add more. It doesn't have to be a certain way. I don't have to, to fill a certain rubric. It, it can just live and be and be very, very natural. And I, I really apply the same thing when it came to, I didn't know the first thing about reaching out to other influencers or other authors. I didn't know about setting up Amazon page and Apple and Google. And you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I've, I've more or less, I've been teaching and lecturing and kind of sitting in my cave here in Jerusalem for the last decade and a half, but it was, okay, well then where do you go to next? And you, and you follow that. I kind of feel like there's, there's your mind but you kind of lead with your gut or lead with your heart and use your mind to check the evidence, right? If that makes sense. I think a lot of times we lead with our mind and our mind doesn't always know what's best. You have to listen to something deeper. You'll, and, and that's what I mean. You got to move this out of the way, let something come through. And then you can always check it with your mind, meaning don't, don't take a risk that doesn't make sense for you. Uh, so true about that gut feeling, that intuition that may not be fact-based or like you said, just in your mind. Well, Moshe, I also love, well, first of all, the title of the book, it's all the same to me, very provocative. But I have to ask you about the subtitle of the book, A Torah Guide to Inner Peace and Love of Life, that you're really accessing and applying the principles from the Torah. I'd love to hear about that. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think one of the reasons why I was so excited and inspired by this project was when I looked at when I just looked in the market and I looked on the field of inner peace, meditation, mindfulness, uh, the whole world of well-being, I didn't see where I come from there. And you, you look to some degree, you look for that resonance. And that, though I resonate with everything that's there, I thought it was interesting that it didn't have kind of like a voice in that space. And though everything I've been learning has been in deep alignment with Meaning when I say when everything I'm learning in Torah has been in deep alignment with what I've seen in the world of psychology, in the world of new age spirituality and in other ancient religions and practices. And at the end of the day, underlying everything right, is is a cosmic connection to something that's that's beyond what we see with our eyes. And I I felt it was a beautiful opportunity to share the wisdom of the Torah in a language uh, that maybe hasn't been used yet. Uh, to make it more universal, that people can access a lot of the ideas that are there and that already resonate within them, maybe from other places in their journey. And you use this word, the spiritual teachings, but you also have used mystical wisdom. Sometimes when we see this word mystical, it becomes all new agey for us. But I mean, there really is a mystic uh, source for some of these concepts, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, and every tradition has kind of, you know, their their mystic, mystical side uh, to where they're coming from. You know, in the world of Torah, it's Kabbalah and it's Hasidus. Primarily, it's based on a spiritual system of networks of how an underpinning reality is expressed. So if you were to try to open up a piece of the Zohar or a piece of Kabbalah and try to understand, it's like, it's more than illegible, it's unintelligible. Right. I mean, it takes so, you, you need to have the, a key and like a code to like unlock what's going on in there, because the people who are channeling and speaking those ideas out were coming from such a deep place and from such a, a different worldview uh, in terms of how they understand the dimensions of consciousness. You know, it's, it's a gift to even have some sort of insight into that world and to be able to translate that a little bit into a language that we can all speak. So I love, you know, as you're speaking to this, I looked up the actual definition of mystic, just to kind of frame it for the audience that doesn't understand. We think of mystical, it has so many misuses, but it's a person who seeks contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity within into that supreme consciousness that you're speaking to. Connecting, I want to speak a little bit to the Kabbalic traditions, because even in my own studies, when I've gone through some of the Kabbalic studies, I actually fall asleep. It's so intense during it. When all when I'm starting to begin to experience what's being said and taught, because my body is just the connection to the frequency, that frequency is so high. How do you bring about a connection so it becomes an understanding for everybody to be able to connect into without the segmentation of a religious connotation. Sure. Um, And Kirsten, I'll tell you a a great story, which may resonate with you. One of the biggest Kabbalists that had ever lived, uh, his name was the Arizal, and he wrote what in English is the Tree of Life, in Hebrew is the Eitz Chaim. And that's used as basically the foundation for most Kabbalistic works today. And there was someone who lived in the same city as him at the same time. His name was uh, Joseph Cairo. And he actually wrote the codified Jewish law that's used in basically every Orthodox community around the world. And he wanted to learn Kabbalah. That wasn't part of his tradition, but he had this, this great rabbi who lived in his city named Arizal. He wanted to go learn with him. And he said, you know, this isn't for you. And Rabbi Cairo said, but I want to learn it. He said, fine, you can come to one of my classes. And he came to one of his classes and he fell asleep in the class. And it was that same, you know, and this was a massive, massive Torah scholar. Must make you feel good, Kirsten, to know that you're in this line of great (laughs) learners and teachers. Do feel better. <laughs> yeah, your your lineage is uh, is quite rich. <laughs> That's right. It's good, and 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 the good the great ending to the story was that although he did not learn and study Kabbalah with him, uh, he did have his own book of channelings and an angel that he had, that he was communing with, and uh, he had a whole book that came through a special channel he had with an angel. So the fact that one axiom or one one element in Kabbalah wasn't for him doesn't mean that one can't have that deep connection. So obviously, falling asleep is not an indication that one's spiritually, you know, not not aligned there. It's maybe just, you know, different things. Okay. But to answer your question, I think what I've tried to do a lot in, in my teachings is try to make them as simple as humanly possible. So much of Kabbalah is complex, not just complicated, meaning they're simple. There are things that are simple. There are things that are complicated, which really just means many simple things happening at the same time. And then there is complex, which means that nothing about it is simple. Uh, And then you have to really pull things apart so that you're not caught up in the confusion. There can be so much confusion, right? When you get into these deep, deep ideas. So 
for me, what I found, and this is a gift and, and I appreciate it for myself, when you can make something simple, not only does that mean the person that you're speaking to can understand it, but it also means that you understand it. Meaning the more complex you sound when you're talking may be an indication that you don't fully have the grasp on it just yet. I find for myself, whenever I learn something, I always try to break it down for myself. What's the simplest way to understand this idea? And if I can do that, that means not only do I know it, but now I feel confident when I, I can share it. So good. So, And I wonder, Moshe, about connecting it to today's life or today's struggles or today's you know, challenges, because many times, maybe it's, it's in many religious texts, people go, I don't see the application. You know, it's, it's a long time ago, or how does it fit my issues today? Uh, how do you help connect those dots? Yeah, there's, there's a line in the Baal Shem Tov, who was the founder of the Hasidic movement. And over there, he says very clearly, he said, there's no line in the Bible that's not meant to be applicable to your life today, which means that if we're not finding its application, it's because you know, we're missing something, not that it's missing something. Uh, and that for me has been like a great drive in terms of everything that I've learned, meaning if I can't find a way to apply it to myself, so then uh, I recognize that if we're on the understanding that some supreme being and supreme consciousness it has been tapped into and given over through the deepest texts that have ever been written, right? And I can't find relevance to it. It's not a question on the book, it's a question on me. Very I, interesting, I, I, yes. Right, I need to stretch myself, right, to, to find where it fits. And all my mentors and all the people that I've learned from and that I've trained from, trained with, have given me, I, I feel, incredible tools in terms of how to unpack these ideas and, and bring them into immediate relevancy. And for me, the most relevant place in our life is in the world of relationships, whether that's a relationship with, you know, the people that we're, we're speaking to, you know, family, friends, coworkers, uh, the, pe- the person you're buying uh, from the grocery store, and our relationship with ourselves, which is in our own thoughts and the way that we experience our life. Um, and all the concepts that we, that we talk about and that we learn are immediately a- applicable to how am I experiencing day to day? It has to be that way. Otherwise, it's not alive. I, you know, it's amazing how you're breaking it down to your point into simple, simple, actionable ways of managing your life and being in relationship with people. And you keep using this word as well of stretch, stretching. You keep talking about the stretching and, you know, anybody who's gone through any self-development, right? Any development to connect higher than where they're currently at, there is always that stretch because there's who you know yourself to be and who you're going to be shown at the, you know, at the various levels. And this is also a big word with business people, right? Business people have to continue to grow and to stretch and expand. How do you see your works helping support even those that want to put it into tactical application? Because it's essential to really have pure potentiality, right? You need to have that greater connection to source, if you will. I mean, I think one of the basic, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I, I, mean, I think one of the basic ways that this applies is, you know, I, like if we want to go straight to the world of meditation and mindfulness, uh, I find that as kind of the backbone of everything that I teach, which is how aware are we to our inner world? And the reason why that becomes the backbone of the foundation is because when you're on a phone call and this call may cost you, you know, t- a $10 million deal 
and you start getting tense because you don't like the way that the person is speaking to you in the conversation, uh, but you're not self-aware of the, the emotions that you're experiencing and the thoughts that you're having in that moment, you run a greater risk of ruining the thing that you truly want because now you don't hear yourself. And if you can't hear yourself, you certainly can't go deeper, which is to even hear a deeper intuition. And you can't go deeper than that to hear maybe, you know, some heavenly guidance. And you certainly aren't going to hear the voice of God, right? Meaning that the, 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 the more one is in the process of cultivating that inner awareness, the greater opportunity they have in living a life that is more deeply guided by what they truly want. Very well said. Yeah. Well, Moshe, it must also be gratifying as your book is coming out now to have some of these editorial reviews. And I guess not just the reviews themselves, but I was thinking about the application to what you said about the variety in, of fields of life and business that, Kirsten, you were asking about. You know, I mentioned Deepak Chopra's uh, endorsement, but also Bob Doyle, who was featured in The Secret, and Ryan Hollins, who is from the MBA and on ESPN, and Zev Leff, who is a rabbinical communal leader. I mean, look at the breadth of people who have read your uh, book and said, this is a contribution to the world, not just in a spiritual or as we've been talking about mystical sense, but in a true application to life. Uh, is that how you see it? Were you surprised, first of all, that so many people from different fields could see uh, the application in their own day-to-day -day world? You know, it's interesting. I don't know if I, I would say surprised. I, I wasn't surprised in that it, it, could, it could speak to many people. I think I was more surprised in that people responded at all. I mean, I, cause I, I mean, I'd probably reached out to, I don't know if, if it's, if it's not just hundreds, it's at least over a thousand different people yes. before, you know, you even just get to people and then you just hope that someone appreciates it. You know, when you put something into the world, you hope that they, they see it, they can read it and feel through the words uh, to the energy that you put into something. So I was, I was just so grateful. So, so grateful. Uh, I can see how that would be gratifying. Well, listeners, our guest is Moshe Gerst. He's the author of a new book, It's All the Same to Me, which let's just get to the provocative title. What is it that's all the same to me? I love it. <laughs> uh, and every, everybody asks me that, you know, some, some people are say like, that sounds so boring. I don't want everything to be the same to me. <laughs> you know, like I, I like different, I like provocative and I'm happy that you even find it provocative. That's already, that's already step forward. Um, well, it doesn't seem like your traditional, I'll call it self-help, you know, personal development book that says, get out there and be the best you can be. It's like, eh, it's all the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I like the feel. I think, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you the background of the name and then let, let me first give it over to you simply because this is kind of what I do uh, everything in the world is different Kirsten is different than Mark who's different than Moshe and the three of us are different than everybody else and our backgrounds are different and the screen I'm looking at is different the whole world nothing in this world is the same except for the thing that holds the world together right that meaning behind everything there's a sameness within everything there's a sameness there's a type of life that you live that is on a totally, I, the words I would put is a, a joyful, peaceful, uh, loving plane that one can experience when they start to touch base with the sameness that's within and behind everything that we see and experience. So at a certain point, yes, we're different. You're always going to be, you know, Mark and I'll be Moshe and you'll be Kirsten. But on the other side, it's all the same to me. There's a, there's a me and then there's a part that's all the same. So that's that's really the idea of the book is trying to connect to uh, the universal connection that we all share, 
right? There's an underpinning. The name itself actually comes from a word shiviti in Hebrew, which uh, there's a verse in Psalms uh, that says shiviti Hashem negdi tamid, which means I place God before me always. But in Kabbalah and Chassidus, they uh, say that the word shiviti also is related to another word, which means shaveh, which means the same or equal. And in that sense, shiviti, how do you come to know God in everything in the world? Is when you come to a place where it's all the same to you. So it's all the same to me, right? If the only thing that's the same is God, and it's all the same to me. So it's all God to me. It's all universal consciousness to me. It's all one to me. That's basically the idea. All right. I just want to say, if everybody operated from that premise, our world would be such a different place. I mean, right? right? Like it would just be so such an incredible place to be. It already is, but that's yeah. quite powerful in that the way you mapped it out for us. Yes. I hope. I hope we can all take a step closer. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And Moshe, you know, as you've described here, it's not only capturing these ideas, but then it's also communicating them, and uh, it, it's very. Very good to hear this. But we've got to go back now and rewind the tape to over 15 years ago. So we're, we're at 2000. We're thinking about Y2K. You were not living in Jerusalem at Y2K. <laughs> so Far from well, it. Yeah, what were you doing then? And tell us about that part of your journey. Well, at Y2K, I was watching WrestleMania with one of my best friends. That's what I was doing. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. that, that's exact. I'll never forget it. You know, everybody thought the world was going to fall apart. You know, we had a good wrestling match to watch. But I was 13, probably at that time, 13 or 14. I got, I have a deep passion for music. When I was 13, I started my first rock band. It was a pop punk rock band. And uh, I was the lead singer and songwriter. It was, you know, four of us. Sometimes it was four, sometimes it was five, depending on iteration. And we spent the, those seven years from 13 to 20 writing, recording, touring, signed uh, to a record label in Los Angeles. We had, you know, national distribution, you know, so we were in every Tower Records and Best Buy and Target at the time. There were still records and there was, I mean, still CDs and so we were still out there. Ah, uh, those memories. Um, yeah, remember when things were still physical. But I actually, you know... For me, the MP3 signifies a turning point in human consciousness when we stop just focusing on something physical. And now the thing that we're after is actually something you can't even hold and you can multiply it in, at infinitum and you don't know which one's the real thing or which one's the copy and it's all one. And so anyway, not to not to get to the future. Okay, already. I am. I think we need to cut that segment out and yeah. do repeat on yeah. that one because yeah. that was that was brilliant. Kirsten is going to be so busy with sound bites because th- <laughs> you just keep laying them on us. I know. I'm like, I like that. Hold, pause, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this was like, and that was my life. So we, we were we were touring and recording and playing with some of our favorite bands growing up and touring alongside uh, with the band's warp tour. And we were playing with uh, bands like Plain White Tees and All Time Low and Story of the Year and Papa Roach and Yellow Card and all these really, really popular uh, pop punk groups at the time. Uh, anywhere from, you know, 200 people a night to 2000 people a night. And it was a dream. It was like literally a childhood dream and we were living it and we were spending time with all these amazing, amazing people. And, and then one night, it was at the record release party of our third debut album. And someone came over to me at the party and said, how long are you going to do this for? Now, mind you, I think I'm 20 at this point. Or ni- <laughs> I'm 19 or 20. And yeah. how long you're are you like, gonna it do just this? started. Yeah. Like, <laughs> forever. Yeah, it's my third album. <laughs> right. Like, we're yeah. just getting started. Get back started. in the mosh pit. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. That's basically what I told him. I asked him, I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, how long are you going to play music for? And I said, I don't know. Like, what kind of a question is that? And he said, you know, how long? And I said, well, until we're successful and then, you know, we'll settle down. We'll have a family. And he said, when's that? And I'm pretty frustrated at that point. And I said, when's what? He said, when's successful? And I said, shut up and have another beer. You're killing my buzz. <laughs> yeah, don't you don't you just love those people that show up and just like thwart all plans, right? <laughs> it was it was so from left field, so not what I was looking for in that moment. And you know, he went on his way and I went on my way, but I woke up the next morning and the question kind of burned in me like a fever. And I had to think about what it was, what was success, and when is that? And I spent the next week or two really thinking a lot about what that meant for me. And after about a month of soul searching, as well as like doing a lot of research, um, I had never, I had never done that before. I was really artistic as a kid. I, the first book I read, you won't believe this, but I, I hadn't read a book cover to cover until I was 21. Like that wasn't, didn't happen for me. Like I, I didn't read. Not that I couldn't read. I, I read just fine. I just, I wasn't an intellect. Uh, intellectual person, just a, a rock and roll kind of guy. And once I started looking into the people that I was looking up to, uh, I, that's the first time it hit me that the type of life I was setting myself up for, because the majority of the people that I had looked up either never got married or were married to multiple people, never had children or had children with multiple people, lived on the road six to 10 months out of the year, had suffered from some sort of uh, addiction uh, or drug abuse, had either attempted taking their life or taking their life, meaning it was a really negative picture, right? Next to all the accolades, the picture wasn't good. And it was the first time I was like, what is life about? I never thought about it. I just kind of lived it. That was the turning point for me where I had to make the decision. I was like, okay, wait, before I go take another step further and go on another tour, am I okay with not knowing where this is going to go and not thinking about life deeper? And that's basically was my first, my first awakening to send me on a path of spiritual pursuit. So Moshe, when was the decision to really make the move then? Mentally and spiritually one, but then you decided, hey, I'm going to pick up and, and move to Israel. So it happened pretty fast, actually. From the moment that I had the clarity to the moment I was on the flight, it was about seven weeks. Uh, it may have even been less. It may have been six weeks. Like I had the, it was a, a flash of clarity. It was one day I was walking down the street and I saw a young couple walk out of some place on, uh, on Pico Robertson, which is on, uh, in Los Angeles. And I remember thinking, uh, I'm probably not going to have that if I keep going this way. And I'm not sure I want to give that up. And maybe I can have that, but maybe I won't. And I, I got very emotional. I like, sat down in, in an alley near my house. I just, you know, I started bawling because I, I bawling from the lack of clarity. I just wasn't sure what to do. I sat down. It's a long story, but the, the end of the story is I sat down with, uh, with somebody that I'd never met before, but he's, you know, it happens to be we're in the same place. And he, he saw that I was going through this emotional space. And he said, he asked me to explain to him what I would have, what, what do I want my life to look like 10 years from now, ideally? And I painted him this picture of like, well, this is really what I would want in 10 years from now. And he started crying. And uh, I asked him, why, why are you crying? Like I had met this guy like an hour before. And he said, I once had that clarity also. And he said, but I didn't act on it. And he said, and every day you don't act on your clarity and on your vision, you're adding another black and white pixel in that screen. And he said, that vision's going to be gone very soon and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. So he's like, you should, you have to take an action. And that, that really spoke to me and it spurred me. And about six weeks later, like that week I told the band I was leaving, it was a catastrophe. Everybody was very, very upset with me. That was, um, 
that was the hardest part was these were my best friends these were my family right mm-hmm. so I was you know guitar player bass player drummer road manager PR tour manager uh, the president of the label the CEO of the label uh, all the people who took a chance on us all our roadies like an entire community all the the fans and, and street team it was a lot of people I was walking away from you know what I mean and it was extremely difficult but it, and but it was clear when you have clarity, you have to walk on clarity, you know, mm-hmm. and as hard as that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, it's so wonderful. And what you shared is you were given signs and gifts and people along the way that just appeared out of nowhere, but you were present and able to hear and listen. And then you did your inner soul work to really evaluate its alignment within you and I'd love yet another segment for us, right? I'd love the discussion of taking an action towards that clarity and that vision that you do have for that life that you want to lead. And what I want to acknowledge here, even in particular for our listeners, that's not the easiest road. When we have this intuitive knowing or we have this guidance inside and we know we have to make a shift that doesn't correlate to society or even our old belief systems. That's not the easiest road traveled. So there's a lot of courage because you're putting absolute faith and trust in something you can't see or know. And that's where expansion happens. That's right. You said it. I think that's the key word. A lot of people ask me, how did you do it? How did you do it, Moshe? You left like everything you just mentioned, right? You left all those people. You left a, 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 a budding successful music career. Like things were going well. Like we were about to go on a tour with a, a group called Good Charlotte. That, that was like the talks. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were having, you know, 25 to 30,000 people a night gigs. And our, our booking agency was already in touch with them. Like, how did you walk away? How were you able to do it? And when I look back, I used to say I didn't do anything. I felt I was like pulled out. I, 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 I don't know how that happened. But today when I reflect on it, there's one thing that I did, which was I trusted. I trusted the voice. I trusted the intuition. I allowed that to carry me. And I think that's maybe the most powerful thing that gives us an engine to act, which is if you can trust your vision, trust your clarity, trust the thought that you had that says there is something so important on the other side of this decision and, and you can go with it, that, that's what breaks the boundaries. And I think that's the magnet that pulls you, pulls you out of a situation or into a new one. So good. And Moshe, what about if the roles were reversed or a scene like that happened tomorrow morning, you're walking down the street and you see somebody and you intuitively know in your uh, gut that they're struggling with the same thing you were back then. What would you say to them? You know, that's a great question. And immediately as, as I saw where you were going with, with the question, what came up for me is I, I can only speak to a person from where they're at. Another Another person in my situation could be the right thing for them to do is to stay. It could be the right thing for them to do is to make an adjustment. And it could be the right thing to do is for them to leave. But if I were to have the conversation with them, I would be trying to get to what they really feel about the whole experience that they're going through. And it's that inner knowing, the feeling of uh, like, like this, what the guy opened up in me when he asked me what I want in my future, what he did for me, the gift he gave me was... It, I experienced even just for a moment where I wanted to go and it wasn't in alignment with where I am. So if somebody asked me the question, I would try to do something similar, which is to try to get out in the open is where you are and where you're going in alignment with where you want to be. And and if the answer is yes, but we need to make an adjustment. So maybe you stay there and you make an adjustment 
or, or maybe there's something, maybe there's a, another fear or limiting belief that's entered its way into his consciousness and that we have to deal with that. So it, it's really very personal. I don't think there's, I don't think that the answer is the same for everybody. In fact, I know the answer is not the same for everybody, but the, but the framework's the same for everybody. <laughs> and the framework is, is it in resonance and alignment with the truth that you seek or is it not? Very helpful. And I guess I've also read, Moshe, in a lot of your interviews and things online, that people see you as a very optimistic person. You know, you really see that sort of sunshine side of life. What's there to be optimistic about in the world these days, from your point of view? And how do you you maintain it? (laughs) I mean, I think we live in the greatest time in world history. And I, I, I do a litmus test with people when people come to me pessimistically about our, our generation or our time. And I say, you know, would you rather live today or a hundred years ago? Would you rather live today or 500 years ago? Would you rather live today or a thousand years ago? No one ever says a thousand years ago. Most people don't even say a hundred years ago. When would you rather live? Now is the best time in universal history. And, and it's, it's gonna be better in one moment. We're moving, every moment is moving in in a good direction. All you have to do is look at what's going well. You know, I had a great boss at one point in my life. And every time we sat down to have a team meeting, he would look at the whole table and he wouldn't start off the meeting with, okay, what's going wrong? You know, where do we need to adjust? The first question at the table was what's going well. And it was just like setting a premise for the first thing we look at is what's going well, always. We're always going to look at what's working, what's working in your life, what's working in the world, you know, medical miracles. We're talking about vaccines that have never been created before, you know, done overnight. And the the world is, you know, dealing with a pandemic in a way that it never could have done in the past. You know, on the one hand, we're upset and we say, wow, well, this never may have happened in the past because there wasn't air travel and people weren't going all over the world. And on the other hand, it's like there's air we travel and we can go all over the world. Right. And so, yes, the whole world is, is getting sick because we can do amazing things today. We're upset about a divided America. You know, there are so many different voices and opinions like never before in human history could so many people communicate at the same time about the same subjects and kind of band together. And like maybe it's not finished yet. Right? The game's not over, right? We're in the middle of a process. The story's going on. But like, it's amazing. You know, we were talking about Clubhouse before. And it's like, can you imagine you can walk into a room on Clubhouse right now and hear a conversation with people from another part, they're indigenous to another part of the world. You would have never known that that kind of conversation was happening or that they had those feelings or that sentiments about things in the world. And you can go and learn in a way that you could have never done before. Poverty is down today more than ever before in history, but we still have problems. Meaning the fact that it's better doesn't mean things aren't, aren't good, right? I mean, we, we still have a lot of perfection to do. So for me, it's like, I look around, there's less war today. There's, um, there's less slavery today. There's, I mean, just, it's amazing. The world is great. I mean, but there's a lot more work to do, but just look, look behind us. I think we're doing fantastic. Yeah, you definitely get the inspirational teacher of the year. For sure. <laughs> for sure. You. you know, I do have one quick question along those lines for you. You know, many spiritual teachers are speaking about this big, great awakening we're going through as a consciousness. What, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I resonate with that deeply. I think that's one of the reasons why I decided to do what I'm doing right now. Because I feel like now is a time, it's a special time in history. You see it across the board, across all faiths, across all people. It's not even, you know, even though scripture does describe a time like this, you don't even have to go to some prophecy. Just look around. People are more open today 
to self-development and growth. I mean, you look at reading trends, just look at book sales in the world and the numbers are going down every year, except in a couple, a handful of areas. And one of them is in the world of self-development, right? And spirituality. And the idea that, you know, you're going from a market that's now saying, well, if we're going to read, I want to read about how to be a better person. If we're, if I'm going to digest, you know, a podcast, I want to learn about how to be a more productive human being. And then a lot of those conversations start bridging into spirituality and into the expansion of uh, self. I, I think it's obvious for, for the first 12 years that I was in Jerusalem, I thought that I would, you know, you know, today, you know, I speak Hebrew and, you know, this is, you know, the, the over here, I, I would, you know, spend most of my time probably teaching anywhere from 10 to 30 people uh, in a room here. And, and I love it. And I appreciate all my students here there. They mean the world to me, truly. Uh, but there is something that you can do in, a, in kind of like a global space now when you when you can speak in this kind of universal language to help encourage the world moving in that direction. I, I'm inspired by exactly what you're describing, Kirsten, that, that the fact that that right now there's that awakening. I feel like I'm from LA, so I surfed growing up. As a surfer, you wait, you wait to catch the wave. You know what I mean? As soon as the wave comes, you just like you, nothing else matters. You you swim and, and you paddle and you you try to jump on it. And I feel like in, in a similar way, this this awakening is is an opportunity. It's a wave to swim with, and it's not just you on the board. You can take a lot of people on the board, and uh, and it's a it's a really nice experience. Well, Moshe, what a wonderful conversation we've enjoyed talking with you so much. I guess let's let's be sure people know how to connect with you and get to know the book and follow your work overall. So thank you so much. You know, the book is is available uh, at all the major retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository, Chapters, Indigo. Um, so you'll be able to find it over there. Uh, and in terms mm. of me, you can find me basically at all the social media platforms at Moshe Gersht. YouTube is youtube.com slash Moshe Gersht. And yeah, look forward to see you being part of the community. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Kirsten, we've really enjoyed talking with Moshe and we'll think about how we can continue the conversation. But I'll close with letting you know that it's Moshe Gerst. He's the author of the brand new book. It's all the same to me. And it's been endorsed by all sorts of people in all walks of life. But you can tell from this conversation that Moshe's not only been a, a student of things like the Torah and the Talmud and other faith-based religious texts, but also he practices and applies and translates these principles into life and business. And that's, I think, what we've really enjoyed about this conversation is how to really slow down, quiet our minds, and get in touch with those messages that are being sent to us, even if they come from people in coincidences, like somebody you meet on the sidewalk when you're facing a difficult decision or challenge. And Kirsten, I know that you talk to people uh, every day, your clients that you're consulting and coaching about slowing down and listening to these messages. Yeah, I, we do, you know, and I really, again, I want to have them listen to all the clips that we had in here <laughs> today during our discussion, because it was so simply and eloquently put, you know, how to do that. But also you illustrated the importance of why we do that. Oftentimes it's, you know, well, what are my results going to be if I really slot time into my day or actually create my life. So this is my life. And then everything else slides in, right? As I really work through with my clients. So 
To me, it's been wonderful. Oh, terrific. And Kirsten, you host a gathering on Zoom that I think if we wanted to continue a conversation and how this applies, tell us a little about that. Oh, I would love to. So I recently started Soul Tea and Conversations on the Soul. Really what I'm finding are two things right now. People are moving away from being individualistic and wanting community of like, I'm calling them like souled people, where we're really connecting on a deeper level, not just our opinions. But this is an opportunity where people can come together and we just pick a topic and it's peer-to-peer discussion. It's open where everybody's voice and opinion gets heard and recognized, which I think is something communities really need right now is to be in different opinions, but still be heard at the same resonance as everyone else. So bring your tea, let's sit and have a discussion and start building communities that are talking about how we're growing, not how we're dividing. And how do we connect with that group? On my website at pureintellikey.com. You just register. It's free, but this allows me to send you the Zoom. It's just come when you wish and bring your tea. Fantastic. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Moshe Gerst. I hope you'll join Kirsten for one of these soul tea conversations. And I hope you'll join us again on our next episode, where we'll continue to talk to leaders in all walks of life and all walks of businesses all over the world about how they're exploring and achieving and reaching for their soul's purpose and their full human potential. I'm Mark Stenson for Kirsten Goldie. This is IntelliKey Leadership Stories, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. If you like IntelliKey Leadership Stories, I want to tell you about another podcast I host called Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Each episode features an expert from somewhere around the globe that tells us about how they get inspired, how they organize their ideas, and how they gain the confidence and connections to get their work out into the world. From singer-songwriters to entrepreneurs, on topics like data analytics to hotel management, we talk to experts from Milan and Oslo, Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, all over the globe to bring you the best ideas and inspiring your creative thinking You can find Unlocking Your World of Creativity wherever you listen to podcasts.